the Word of God by faith. So hopefully we're working into the practical applications. Our focus is how we conduct ourselves in the household of God and very specifically what shepherding and correction looks like in the hands of Christ. What is gospel shepherding and what is gospel correction? Where does gospel correction fit in in shepherding? And uh, it is a wonder to behold, and it's something that most of us did not grow up with. Most of us grew up with um, one extreme or the other uh, when it came to discipline and correction, either nothing or rage and anger. And God has saved us so that we don't need to live that way any longer. And so that we can enjoy the shepherding that we read about in God's Word. And in fact, that's the shepherding that saved us and made us... um, children of God. And so when we think about that, you know, we forget about that and we go and we get married and we have kids or we interact in the household of God and we forget what the Lord used to shepherd and correct and save us is exactly what he's provided to help us in every aspect of our lives, whether it's discipleship, whether it's living with roommates, whether it's extended family members, which we're all going to deal with over the holidays, the Lord's sufficiency, His goodness, and the power of the gospel is sufficient for our marriages, our children, our child raising, every aspect of it. Okay? And that's essentially what First Timothy is very much about. The Apostle Paul speaking the words of Christ. Christ has called him to do so. Speaking to Timothy, he's telling Timothy, who's starting to waver and starting to get beaten up and starting to be convinced that maybe I need to do things differently here. Maybe all these guys with all the whistles and bells and all the things that they're talking about from the world and all their great rhetoric and persuasion... I don't know, and and Paul graciously, through the power of the Holy Spirit, writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy and says, No, the same Savior who saved you and drew you to himself and made you a true child and son of the faith is the same one who is going to transform your worship, your shepherding, your elders, your leadership, how you take care of widows, every aspect of the church. So that's the big picture. And we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 1 together. And so, uh, Lyndon, we'll pick on all the relatively newly marrieds, right? I'm going to get you to come up here and read for us 1 Timothy chapter 1. And, and before you do that, you can give us an update on how married life is and how we can be praying for you. Oh, he fell into a trap. Okay. I should have sat further behind. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, um, thanks for asking, Pastor Mark. Uh, marriage has been very sweet. Um, yeah, I think it's been a huge blessing for Jess and I, uh, especially when we're able to work from home. But, you know, I think uh, for us to fall into the roles of husband and wife, what it means to be a servant leader, what it means to be servant helper, um, but Christ has been faithful in redeeming all the moments of our marriage, you know, uh, even in the conflict, even in the sweet times, and yeah, it's just been yeah, a huge joy, um, so yeah, we've, we've been praising God every day for that, yeah. Um, yep, yeah, I'll read First Timothy, the chapter full, one. first chapter one. Yes, please. All right. All right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. By command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. uh, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as as an example to those who were uh, to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Well done. Thank you, sir. Do you notice the similarities as we go through Logos in chapter 6 that we just went through in reference to the attributes of God, who He is, holding fast, fighting the good fight? All of those things are are very similar as Paul closes out. He closes out in a similar way that he begins. But, um, let's see, could I have my next slide, please? Um, This is just by way of review what we talked about when we were last together. As we talked about how we all need shepherding and correcting. And shepherding and correcting begins with us, and it's the entirety of our lives. We will all be shepherded and corrected by something. The question is, will it be by Christ or will it be by the world? The world has its own way of correcting. It might be human resources. It might be losing your job. The world has a way of shepherding. But it is very, very different from Christ. And with how this epistle starts, the Lord makes very clear in this letter, Christ through the Apostle Paul is the authority. He's the rule. He's the one who is shepherding his church. And how he shepherds is he shepherds the Apostle Paul and corrects the Apostle Paul. And that began with his conversion but continues all the way through. And by extension, the Apostle Paul is shepherding Timothy, his true child in the faith. And by extension... With the Word of God, 
Timothy is being called upon to shepherd and correct the local church. And this is God's design and God's way in which the entirety of those who are children of God are to be shepherded and corrected with what? The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Okay? When we come and talk about correction in Christian circles, everybody's like, Christian worldview, do we homeschool? Do we send our kids to Christian school? Do we send to public school? Do we use a rod? Do we not use a rod? And we forget about the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? It begins, brothers and sisters, with the same correction and shepherding we received when we learned that we weren't right before the Lord and we needed a radical change that only Christ could do. And that's going to be true throughout the entirety of our lives. That's the standard of correction. That's the sound doctrine that is there. Now, the idea of correction, as we said, is tied to that word that we use in orthopedics, okay, in the medical community. It's the idea of making straight something that is broken so that it can be used in the way it was intended. And that general idea is that God has created each one of us to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, but we can't do that because we're broken. And we've been broken by sin. Our nature is broken, our mind is broken, our desires are broken, all of those things are broken. And when God comes and saves us, He gives us a new heart, but it's like a mustard seed, it's like a baby, it's like a little child. And it needs to be nurtured and it needs to be fed with the pure spiritual milk of the Word, and that's... The gospel, okay, it's the whole of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation. But we need to feed on that and we need to grow. And that is the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to come into our lives and take what is broken and to make it straight. And if any of you have ever broken an arm or a limb, and you know it needs to, in bad cases, sometimes it needs to be rebroken. Sometimes it needs to be reset. And other times it needs to be in a cast for six to eight weeks, and it's itchy and it's uncomfortable, but that's necessary because if the bone stays broken and it's displaced, you may never use it in the way God intended it. And that's what the Lord is doing in our lives, and He's doing it in our church, He's doing it in our marriages, He's doing it in our family, He's doing it with your roommates, He's doing it with each one of us. He's coming in and he's shepherding and correcting. And nine times out of ten, it's incredibly sweet. The problem is we tend to only remember the moments that it pinches and it hurts. And we think of that as being the sum total of what correction and discipline is. Because we take for granted the things that are sweet and good. And the things that make us feel a little uncomfortable with ourselves. Or make us uh, feel humiliated or they hurt our pride. We... You know, that, that is kind of the sum total of where things are at. But what I want you to see globally as you look from Genesis through Revelation, okay, this is foundational. If the gospel is the standard of correction, God's shepherding and correction, and I'm going to say this over and over again till the cows come home, is redemptive and restorative in contrast to the world's correction and shepherding is typically punitive, okay? And the distinction really is God's shepherding and correction is done in love by the power of His Spirit, and ultimately its aim is to mold you into the image of Christ, where typically the world's correction is to make you pay for how you've hurt or inconvenienced someone else. 
it's basically in the flesh, okay? And if we push that a little bit further and we think about what we learned at retreat, okay, and guys, this is true of all of us. The Lord probably knew I was going to teach on this, and so He saw fit this week to humble me and show me how much I need to repent and my heart needs to be changed, especially in the area of shepherding my children. And you can all pray for me because i got a long way to go. Soccer tournament this weekend, and nothing like soccer tournament to bring out everything that's evil that's been there the whole time. So these things are not new. Kurt Gephardt's always reminded me, Mark, when these things come out, it's showing now, but it's been there for a long time. Well, it's been there for a long time. And it's easy once we get to sports or our pastime or our leisure times that we forget about those things. And the autopilot of the world takes over. And the autopilot of the world is you've got to win at all costs. Right? And that extends to our children. When we're tired and we're having a hard time, we've got to win at all costs. If they're talking back to me, if they're giving me a hard time, I've got to basically wipe this out and I've got to establish order in the house. But what ends up happening is, and we fail to see this, this is really selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. And when we look at James, selfish ambition is I want to get what I want. I want a quiet place. I want the soccer team to win. I want things to run smoothly. I don't want kids or people to give me attitude. It's about me having what we talked about with the guys in our small groups. We all worship comfort, right? We're Americans. And when things are uncomfortable or something makes me feel uncomfortable, I'm upset. Selfish ambition. So we worship the God of comfort, and that God of comfort ultimately is me. Selfish ambition. And when I don't get what I want... Things need to be corrected. So it's amazing both in the church and in our families and other places, how many sinful things can sit and it doesn't, it's not a big deal. Until it becomes my problem. Right? So it's fine with the guy who's got the pyramid schemes in church as long as it doesn't come to my small group. And then suddenly when it comes to my small group, Pastor Mark, we've got a problem here. Well, we've got to do something about this. Well, what happened when he was in everybody else's small group? It's usually when we feel the pinch and it's uncomfortable to us, okay? And then what happens is we get upset. It's that cascade in James. And if you look at it, it's envy, it's slander, it's anger, it's dissension. It's all, and so much of the correction that comes, even in a Christian household, okay, Mark Chen, it's coming as we look at it. What are you trying to do? It's coming from selfish ambition. I'm not getting what I want. Well, it could be, I just want my kids to behave well. I just want my kids to, to be decent. I just want my kids to be respectful. That's fine. But that's not God's goal for my children. Our goal is to see everyone saved and everyone presented mature in Christ. Now, that's God's decision, and that's how he's going to do it. But when I veer away from that, I take good things and I make those the best things. I impose those on my children and my family. Who ultimately is ruling my home? My selfish heart. Okay? And so it doesn't become a surprise that when correction comes, it can come very easily in the form of anger, envy, blasphemy, all of those things that come from that heart. It's not coming from the Spirit. Well, Paul is coming to Timothy, and he's showing Timothy globally, I've got a better way. It's the way that saved you. Can I have my next slide, please? Um, And the place that Paul really aims for is he goes for the heart. Um, There's this movie I used to see back when I was a pagan. 
It was with Clint Eastwood called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. No, it was a fistful of dollars. See, that's how far away I am from it. And in a fistful of dollars, the bad guy says to Clint Eastwood, he says to the others, he said, you have to shoot for the heart. Don't mess around. You've got to shoot for the heart. So that's the line that Clint Eastwood says in that movie all the time. Shoot for the heart, Ramon. Well, that's biblical counseling. I'd like to think it comes from the Bible. Anyways, the idea here, okay, is we're not just managing symptoms or behavior. God is so good, He shepherds for the heart. He shoots for the heart. He addresses what's there in the heart. And that's why many times our lives are uncomfortable for an extended period of time because God's ringing our doorbell and saying, Hey, you're trying to manage behavior, but you're ignoring the heart. And Paul makes this point as he goes through the heart. He talks about a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Okay? And he shows that the aim of this and the aim of God's correction in our lives is ultimately love, that we would be molded into the image of Christ. And with Christ's shepherding and correction, even though at times it is painful and even though at times it humbles us, ultimately it's a love that brings us to a place of rest and restoration. But to get us there, sometimes there's a few bumps along the way. And you'll see that in Christian homes where there's gospel shepherding. Is there may be discipline that pinches and hurts at times. But at the end of the day, if it is gospel correction, the place that you end up with is you end up in a closer place with your children and your spouse than where you started. And the same is true in our marriage and our relationships with peers and roommates and others, that when Christ is guiding it, true reconciliation, true peace is not sweeping it under the carpet. You end up with a closer relationship, a rest and a reconciliation where you are tighter with Jesus and tighter with those who you are at odds with than where it started. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's the gift of Christ's shepherding. And it's a shepherding that begins with the Word of the Lord, but it works on, not just I have to stop this, I have to stop this, it works in the heart. And the heart of that, and the aim, the chief aim, the goal is love. And as we talked about last week, that's a very different goal than frequently, if we're honest, with our correction. So, if you all sort of go back and think, okay, the last week, who have I wanted to correct? Not who did I correct. Who did I want to correct? Did I want to correct my spouse? Did I want to correct my coworker? Did I want to correct my children? It's worth stepping back and say, okay, why did I want to do that? And how much was my motivation for me personally? How much was selfish ambition because it was bothering me? Okay? And... Where the Lord, I believe, is taking us is that we put on Christ to say, okay, how much of this is really about helping them, even if it costs me? How much of this is about how can I see Julie and Ethan and Josh more like Christ, even if it hurts, even if it costs me time, even if it costs me money, even if it costs me sleep or it's inconvenience, but it's worth it. Because I love them and I want to see them more like Christ. And I'm willing to play the long game, not the short game, that everything's smooth and tickety-boo tonight. And maybe it's going to be rough for a little while, but even if I die, it's worth it. Because I love them and I want to see them like Christ. That's the love of the cross, brothers and sisters. Now, 
it doesn't come intuitively to us because we're not used to thinking in those terms in our marriages. We haven't seen it modeled very frequently. We're not used to it with children. We're not used to it with roommates. So what the Lord does is He comes in and graciously and He allows things to get sticky. He allows us to get squeezed, work, home, whatever, basically. You go on the vacation, everybody's in one room. You have to live in another place. In Los- it's, the Thanksgiving is coming. It's all coming. Okay, and we all want happy times and things to run smoothly. And in God's thing, it's like, hey, here's my opportunity. I'm going to get under the hood of your car, and I'm going to squeeze you a little bit so that you begin to see I've got a bigger picture and I've got a bigger agenda here, that there's two ways of going. Either we do it with the heart of the love of the cross, sacrificially, and it's going to cost you, but humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and cast all your anxieties upon him. He's going to exalt you in due time. If we're willing to wait, he's going to make things right. Maybe it's weeks. Maybe it's a year. Maybe for us with children, we may never even see that moment. But we say that the aim here is to see our children behold the wondrous mystery, that they get a chance to see Christ. Okay? That's, that's the game. It's not to see them win soccer tournaments. It's not to see them excel or be excellent. We do tell our children, hey, God's gifted you. We want you to use those gifts for His glory and not waste them. We don't want you to be sluggards. We don't want you to be slothful guys. We don't want you to be, for want of a better word, bums, right? Okay? But nonetheless, the real hope is that by the time Julie and I walk off the stage, that they've beheld the beauty of the gospel, they know who Jesus is. And that they're held accountable to that. And that's very much what Paul is addressing. So how does he do that in the local church? Can I have my next slide? He talks about the use of the law. Okay. I'm going to try and tie up in 10 minutes just to let you know where I'm going. And then after that, we'll have a chance to pray and discuss and share. And then if you have any questions at the end, we can talk. Okay. But this is, that was sort of introduction. This is where we're going. Okay. When Paul comes to Timothy, if you look at 1 Timothy 1, he starts with doctrine. Okay? He basically says, what's your doctrine? And those who are teaching an incorrect doctrine, you need to correct. He's addressing the heart. He's addressing doctrine. He's addressing desire. He's addressing devotion. What's the direction of your heart? Well, it's tied to your doctrine. We talk about people being functional atheists when it comes to parenting. Why? Because the way we parent many times or interact, we believe God doesn't exist and He's not present, and we've got to fix this on our own. Right? That's why we get discouraged. That's why we get depressed. That's why we despair. Right? And even in our homes with difficult people, we lose sight of the fact that Christ is present with us. But Paul comes back and says, no, we need to address the heart, and a family needs to be filled with the doctrine of the gospel, the delight of the gospel, the devotion of the gospel. That is your standard. So in a, in a home with children, we're going to read through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to read through the scriptures. We're going to read through, as God does, the narrative. And we're going to go through the indicatives and the imperatives, the whole nine yards. Why? Because we're laying a foundation of sound doctrine so that they can behold God through His Word. Because God leads us to repentance through His Spirit and His Word. So in families, it's just as simple, guys, as picking up a children's storybook and reading through it from beginning to end with your children. 
It's not rocket science. That's what my mom did for me. It wasn't rocket science, but she loved the Lord. She did it in the evenings. It was her joy and delight. I learned about Samson. I learned about the judges. I learned about Joshua. I learned about all of those things. That provided a framework for our home. If the word of the Lord is not present, his doctrine and his gospel is not going to be the standard. Now, it's not enough to do that. Okay? Why is it? And this is what Paul talks about using the law unlawfully. And this is what's going on in the church in Ephesus. Okay? When you look at how the law is being used, and this is, happens an awful lot with homeschooling, and this happens a lot with Christian education. And I can say that because I went to Christian schools growing up. And I can tell you there was just as much good sin in the Christian schools as there were in the public school system. Okay? I just texted with one of my buddies and found out which kids got molested through the different ministries at the Christian school I was affiliated with. Okay? And we swapped horror stories. And the only reason I got off the hook was I was in Canada at a time where Asians were thought to be ugly and unattractive, so they gave me a pass. So, being Asian worked in my favor and being discriminated. Okay? Now, where am I going with this? Having said that we need to read the scriptures to our children, we can abuse it. And that is Paul's point here. When we come with the law, okay, and the law we can say is the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, all of those different things. As we look up here, and I'm showing using it unlawfully, what's missing in this picture? Christ is missing, right? The gospel is missing. You remove portions of Scripture and you take it away out of the gospel. And this is what happens in a lot of Christian education. And it happens in a lot of churches. Okay? You end up using it with selfish ambition. And what ends up happening with the law is there's two extremes that happen. This is the Pharisees, this is the Sadducees, this is the scribes, and this is many Christian homes. We oscillate between neglect... You don't do anything, whatever goes, and those are the areas that we don't care about. And the things that we do care about, we use the scriptures like a hammer. Because those are the things that matter to me. That's called being a Pharisee and a Sadducee. That's coming up, and it frequently happens. Pastor Mark, why aren't we doing more about this and this and this and this? Okay? And it's not that I don't want to hear that, but we've got to say, okay, look. Let's be very, very careful because when we take the law and we remove God and we remove Christ and we remove the gospel of grace and truth, we become legalists. We become Pharisees. And this is what Jesus accused the Pharisees of. The things that you don't care about, they get a pass. You do whatever you want. You become rich, you do this, that, and the other. The things you care about, you come after other people with a hammer. And sadly, brothers and sisters, I say this, it's common in the church and it's common in Christian households. So that's why the Apostle Paul is writing. He's showing a better way. And I'm going to say this. When we go down this path, what ends up happening is we're using the flesh to fight the flesh. Your kids talk back. Someone doesn't say something kind. You come back, but you just use a scripture verse. And eventually you know whether you're walking with Christ or not 
by what comes out. Galatians 5. Are they thorns? Enmity, strife, jealousy, frustration, anger. And the Lord is allowing us to see this so that we can go to Him. Okay? Or is it love, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness? And I believe He brings us to a place where we really can discipline our children, we can provide correction, we can love one another the way Christ has loved us. Where it is done, controlled. Where it is gentle. Where sometimes... There is discipline that hurts or pinches at times, but nonetheless, in the bigger scheme of things, by and large, it's characterized by a love that comes from the Father and a wisdom that comes from above. Okay? So I'm saying this because, guys, we jump into this like there's nobody's business. When there are sessions on correction and child rearing, everybody wants to go to the method. How do we raise good kids? What do we do? What's the plan? What book do we use? What plan do we go? How do we nurse our kids? How do we do sleep? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we? It's all about what we do. And what we squeeze out of that is the most important person and the only one who makes shepherding beautiful and good. That's God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? And we all do it. Okay? There's a sweet part that's coming. But have a look at Exodus 20 for me. Humor me with the Old Testament. Exodus 20 is what? It says at the beginning. The 11 commandments. No, that was Mel Brooks. It's the 10 commandments. How many of you can name the 10 commandments by heart? It's a little bit of a stretch. And so there's all these places around the world, Texas, whatever, that are lobbying that we get the Ten Commandments put in our schools and that we get it put up so that everybody can see it. And that's the battle we're fighting for. Now, let me say this. Y'all and your kids need to know the Ten Commandments by heart. But have a look at the beginning here. Verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. What comes before the commandment? Verse 1 and 2. Who spoke these words? God did. Who is this God? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. His relationship. So what we do when we take the Ten Commandments, and we're so proud of ourselves that we teach our kids and they know the Ten Commandments, and it, you know we do need to know it, and it does show the character and love of God, and it does show right from wrong, and we are living in a society where they have no idea what the Ten Commandments are, and they do whatever they want, and it's right in their own eyes, and the law that exists is as long as it doesn't bother me and doesn't bother you, we're good until someone storms the Capitol, right? Or until someone gets shot, right? But, when God gave the Ten Commandments, He said first, God is the one who spoke these words. These words have power too. I'm the God who loves you. I'm the God who saved you and took you out of slavery and you belong to me. When we provide correction for our children, for our spouses, we forget maybe that's the place we need to start. 
vertically with the Lord that He loves us and that He saved us and He's shown compassion and mercy in our lives. And then we need to communicate that to those, even the little ones, at times when we correct. God saved me. I love you. He's given you to me. You are a precious gift to us. You belong to us. But I'm concerned because there are these things that I see that are breaking your relationship with the Lord and you're breaking your relationship with your mom and dad. Okay? And then to begin to shepherd the heart. And sometimes we have to begin to ask questions because then the next place that we need to consider is, okay, well, what's the doctrine of the heart? The reason my children or someone in my life is doing something that's contrary to the Word of God, it's because their doctrine and their desire and their delight in their heart is going away from God rather than toward Him. And the most important thing in my life is to show them, hey, this is not just that you didn't listen to your parents or obey them right away. There's something more at stake here. Your delight and desire is not for the Lord. You don't believe He exists or He's watching you. And you also don't believe he can help you solve this problem. So you've taken it into your own hands. Ethan and Josh, that's contrary to who God is and what he's doing in your life and what he's shown your mom and dad. You tracking with that? Okay. God shepherds by saying first who he is before he gives a command and sharing his love with us. And that should be a guide as we go through and and provide correction to others. Can I have my next slide, please? In comparison to using God's law unlawfully, stripping it from the gospel and using it as a tool, okay, to make me feel smarter or more control in my life, there is a lawful way to use the law. And that's to show that the law comes from the heart of God. And it's to show that the law, by the power of the Spirit, is leading us somewhere. Where is it leading us to? It's leading us to Christ. It's leading us to the cross. It's leading us to the resurrection. And so that's why Paul says, this law is here for those who are lawless. Those who are given over to sexual sin. Those who are given over to immorality. Those who are given over to lies. It's interesting how he mentions enslavers for all the heat that the church is taking today for slavery and slavery in the church and this, that, and the other thing. Paul points out that idea of an enslaver is someone who steals someone and sells them for profit. Well, that's the vast majority of the slave industry, right? These things are contrary to the gospel. They're contrary to the love of God. And the law needs to be used lawfully. So as we think about our children, we know that they are born into sin. We're told that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That should give us compassion for our children. Okay, where do we get frustrated? Well, where does Pastor Mark get frustrated? Pastor Mark gets frustrated when I told my boys to clean up their room three times and it's still not cleaned up and it's getting late at night and everybody's tired and I'm trying to close down the house so that we can get ready to go. Inconvenient for me, right? I told you guys three times. The assumption there is that my word has power and authority. It's the word of God and it should transform their lives and hearts and they should become new people because I said it. It's a complete lie, right? It's contrary to the gospel. Hopefully Julie's of sound mind at that time to pull me aside and say, Mark, they're tired, you're tired, everybody's in the flesh. This is a time where you're better off to pray rather than keep stomping like Rumpelstiltskin, right? 
Okay? We've all been there. And so, I want to encourage you all before we correct that as best we can, we need to pray. And we need to go to the Lord and ask for His help that we would, in love, shepherd. Now, do we have to address things? Sure we do. Do we just say, okay, well, we just leave it and leave the room the way it is? No, we don't. Okay, it's neither negligence nor is it authoritarianism. It's being obedient to Christ and loving as Christ does. And we see that as the laws, we're going to have to bring the law. We're going to have to show our kids right from wrong. We're going to have to go through the Ten Commandments. We're going to show them that God has a standard. This past week, we went through with Ethan and Josh, I think like Exodus 21, okay? And you walk through about how there needs to be compensation when your neighbor loses something that you've got to pay back four times. And explaining to our boys, look, it's not enough just to say you're sorry. If you've hurt someone or damaged someone's property, you need to compensate and make that person whole. You need to give back more than you took. That's what Zacchaeus says. our, Our children need to know those standards. But it needs to be set within a gospel context. And where it brings them, eventually, is they realize if we're consistent in walking in Christ, they can't keep that standard. They get discouraged. They get frustrated. And so then what happens? Their pride lashes out. Because they think they can. So then they talk back, and then they give excuses, and then they give you a hard time, and then they think, oh, you're the problem. Am I alone here? Okay. It's part of the process. Because the flesh will always lash out at the gospel. And as we do so, when we pray for our kids, we wait, and we're firm, And we look to that point where God is going to bring them to the end of themselves, and they're not going to come to the end of themselves till they're done swinging, where they realize, I cannot keep this standard. I'm a failure. I'm imperfect. I'm an offense to God. And it brings them to the place of brokenness. It's not me, their dad, who is bringing them to the place of brokenness. It's the word of the Lord and the Spirit where they're willing to say, I need Christ. He needs to be my king. I can't do this on my own. That is what the law is for. The law is there to shine a mirror to show me the character of God, how I fall short, and how I need a Savior. It's to bring me to the cross so that I can be raised again in newness of life. Okay? We're almost done. Okay, can I have my last slide, please? The place of gospel correction, the hope, ultimately, is that we have something that the world doesn't have. It's not a textbook of how to raise my kids and how to homeschool them and how to give them a Christian worldview. And I talk about that because a Christian worldview has never saved anybody, and we all get in that bandwagon that somehow a Christian education is going to save our kids. It's not. Has it helped? Yes. Has it pointed some? Yes. But it's Jesus who saves. And the ace up your sleeve that you have as Christian parents is that Christ dwells in you. He's the hope of glory. He is your King and He is your Lord. You do not walk alone. He is with you until the ends of the earth. And you're discipling your children. You're pointing them to Christ. And the way gospel correction works is that we live in homes, hopefully, as we walk in the Lord where Christ is visible and present in us. Now that's in our brokenness too, where He shines and we ask our children for forgiveness and we show them how we've dropped the ball 
And we show them grace as the Lord shows us grace. So as my kids ask me for forgiveness, there are times where I say, okay, we need to address this with the Lord. And they say, Dad, can, would you forgive us? One of the things I always say is, if the Lord forgives you, I do. Okay, I let them know that it's both vertical and horizontal. And the beauty of gospel correction is it's about Christ and His power and His presence to change. But we've got to wait for Him. And so we see we do come under the authority of the Word. His doctrine is there, but it's all about shining the light of Christ and bringing them to Christ and showing them who Christ is. Well, what does this look like? Let me see if I can show this to you, okay, and walk you through what we're talking about. It's soccer season. We're going to a soccer tournament this afternoon. If I get out on time, the kids will go without me. Um... So one of the things that comes up frequently with soccer tournaments is that there are games on Sunday mornings. So we have to walk through with our kids that if the game or the photos are on Sunday morning, it ain't happening. I don't quite say it that way. Um, So how do we shepherd that? How do we talk through those those moments with our kids? And how does what happens as it happened in years past where we show up to the tournament and the other kid who's being homeschooled and who goes to church, who's as sweet as the day is long, tells my boys, if you were just here, we would have won. Why weren't you guys here? And they say, well, we're at church. He says, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church too, but I was here. Why couldn't you be here? Our kids are going to deal with all of those different things. And we don't want to point our fingers, and we don't want to be judgmental with others. We want to love as Christ is loved. So what do we do? We start with addressing their hearts, and we start addressing their doctrine. Ethan, Josh, why, why, why do you want to do the soccer tournament and go into church? Well, they'll tell me three or four different reasons, okay? They're the same reasons, quite frankly, that we use work as an excuse, okay, for not showing up at events, and for not worshiping, and for not paying attention. It's not that much different. But it gives us an opportunity to come and say, okay, those are good reasons. But there's a better reason. Who's the king of our family? They they know the answer. It's Jesus. Okay. Who saved your mom and dad? It's Jesus. Okay. If he's our king, whose word rules our home? It's his. And what does he say? That we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. Who gets the first fruits and the best? You might not be saved, but as long as you're in our household, he is our king. That's Christ. Okay, well, it means that his command and our time with the people of God and the Lord's day, this is where we start, and we're going to have to trust him. It doesn't work well the first time, second time, third time, it can be rough. But over time, by God's grace, our kids begin to see, at least this is Julie's commitment and my commitment, and we walk by faith. What we're trying to do is we're trying to address the doctrine, the delight, and the desires of their heart. Understanding that their hearts are being pulled. Understanding they might not be saved. Understanding that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And all I'm trying to do is shine a light to show them that the desires that they're wrestling with are not coming from God, they're coming from below. I can't change those desires. But I can show them that they're contrary to Christ and they're going to lead them to destruction one day. Okay, this is a hypothetical. Let's assume they hear all those things. They're unhappy with it, so they decide to give it to me and decide to be really ugly 
and talk back to me, and then they decide to persist to be disruptive in church because they're ticked because dad's a pastor and they got to be here instead of the soccer tournament. This is a hypothetical, okay? Pray for my kids, okay? There's a point that comes, as the Lord does with us, where he shepherds our heart, he speaks into our lives. He sends his prophets. He sends his prophet. They repeat it again. They say, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. They warn, there's two paths, the path of the fool and the path of the wise man. If you continue to walk on the path of the fool, there's going to be devastation and destruction. Now, I want to bring this to bear, and we'll try and tie up with this. Brothers and sisters, the gospel brings consequences. We don't think of it that way. But the good news of the gospel is you accept Jesus and you bow down before him and you surrender to him as Lord and King with the entirety of your life or you're going to be damned and you're going to burn. That's the gospel. And it's a gospel of love because we all should burn. But Christ comes and says, look, I'm going to give you a way. And that way is by way of the cross. And if you come to me, you're going to be sheltered and protected. But in love, I'm going to warn you, if you don't come to me, and you continue on this path, you're going to be destroyed. And the way of the transgressor is hard. I need to shepherd my children with that. And where that goes is in the same way that God did through the prophets. I'm going to plead and I'm going to plead and I'm going to plead. And there's going to be times where I'm going to bring Julie in and I'm going to sit down and say, okay, now there's two of us, Matthew 18. Boys, we need to take this seriously. What we're seeing is a heart of rebellion and pride. And the way of the heart of rebellion and pride is you end up getting your neck broken. That's the way of the world. And as many biblical counselors have made the point, the world is far crueler and harsher and more brutal than God is. And when they come to break your neck, it's ugly. They're going to put a knife in your back, they're going to bury you, and they're going to trample you. Whether it's done in a white-collar way or in a blue-collar way or wherever you go. And the punishment and the discipline and the pinch that they feel from me is going to be far less than anything the world can bring. Because that is a discipline and a punishment that destroys not only your heart, but your soul. And so there will come a point where I'm going to take away something that's near to them or make them feel the pinch of their sin to get their attention to realize that they're on a path that the further they go on the path, the more destructiveness this is going to be and the way of the transgressor is hard. So there's a place for that. But ultimately, the ultimate goal and how they're shepherd as we walk through is, I love you. I want you to know why we're doing this. You need to repent and turn to Christ because if you continue on this path, it's going to destroy you. But then as Paul does... At the end, he shows his life and his character to Timothy in the end of chapter 1. And he says, look, this is what the Lord did to me. And this is why he did it to me. He did it to me to show his patience so that I may be a testimony of the gospel. And at that time, parents, you have an opportunity with your kids to share your testimony of how the Lord has loved you. And so not infrequently with the boys, I'll tell them, your dad was a worldly but respectable man. He lived that life. He aspired to that dream. He did many foolish things that he regrets. And there were times, Dad, God didn't discipline you. Oh, yes, he did. And let me tell you some of the ways that he did discipline your father. And so I'm so thankful and gracious, and I never want to go back there, and I never want to see the two of you boys there. Because the way of the transgressor is hard. But the way of the Lord is mercy and grace. 
Okay? So, I'm hoping that provides a picture for you. It's a start that you can get started. If you have further questions, you can talk to me later, and we can interact with this, and we'll have more opportunities to follow up. But the big picture and the big plead here is, parents, you have every reason to rejoice and hope, because everything that you need to shepherd your children, God has given you. And I want to encourage you to do something. Go back and think of your testimony and how the Lord saved you. And go and share it with your children sometime this week. Those who you, of you who don't have children, think about your testimony and reshare it with your spouse. Those of you who have roommates who gather together, share your testimonies with one another. And be reminded about how God graciously and lovingly got your attention and brought you in to the kingdom. And consider how the Lord is using that in your life to shepherd and correct others who He's put in your place. Let me close this time with prayer. Lord Jesus, what a wonderful shepherd You are. You do not shepherd out of anger and spite or out of negligence. But You show us how much You love us. And You bring a correction that comes from the cross and from Your resurrection. And You do so with great power and great grace, and great mercy. And your patience is long-suffering with us so that we might turn and repent. Thank you for these things, for your mercy and grace. Help us, Lord, to begin walking and thinking in a way that is pleasing to you. And would you come in and sanctify and transform the shepherding of our homes and the shepherding of our household. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you before you go, if you would take 10 minutes. We're at... 106. If you would take 10 minutes, if you would break up into small groups and you would just share with one another maybe one thing that's on your heart and mind and that you take just a few minutes in your small groups just to pray for one another, pray for your homes, pray for your families, and then when you're done, you guys can roll and get your kids. We'll see what shape they're in after Julie and Cindy have taken care of them.